Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. So last December, which isn't actually all that long ago, but for some reason, when I was looking back to see how far it was, it seemed like a lot longer ago we had this conversation. And maybe that's because it seems like uh, a lot has changed or the market's really taken off uh, uh, since then. But it was episode 97. I had our current guest, Neville Spear, on the podcast to discuss kind of market trends and where things were going. Um, And like I mentioned, it seems like things have kind of taken off. So I've asked him to come back on and give us another market update and maybe see what things are changing and what things to watch out for. And so I really appreciate you joining me again today, Neville. It's always good to talk to you and welcome back to the Herd Quitter podcast. Well, Jared, thank you. It's uh, great to be with you. And and uh, I just really enjoyed my time with you last time. You you ask very intuitive questions, great questions, and always uh, very inquisitive. And, and uh, it, it was a pleasure to be with you. And I'm glad to be back. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate that. It, it was fun talking to you. I'm uh, you've got, these are the kind of conversations that I think get my wheels turning. So I always enjoy them. And, and I have a lot of questions about it, which is maybe why it seemed so, uh, yeah. you know, enjoyable for you. It's, it's something that I, I really enjoy talking about, but, um, like I mentioned, it seems to me, and maybe you see it differently that things have kind of taken off since we last talked, uh, the prices have continued to jump. And also I've talked to some people who have been experiencing a lot of drought that have been getting some rain. And so, I'll maybe before we dig into anything too deep, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on what are some of the major things that have changed over the last, what, seven months or so now, I guess, um, that are kind of affecting or relevant to the, to the cattle market. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because, uh, one thing that's changed is, uh, certainly the markets are better and, and, uh, I've actually written about this, right. I'm not mm-hmm. getting, uh, kind of cranky emails from people about the market. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's really amazing. And this is what we do in this business, but everyone is feeling very good and very optimistic. And, um, you, you know, so life is good. And, and by the way, I mean, the market has, has really been just, incredible this spring it's surpassed everyone's expectations and certainly you know we've easily beat the records of 2014 and by the way and we've kind of persisted here right it's you know 2014 we we jumped up to 170 and then we were right back down to 155 within three or four weeks and it was a peak and back down and then we kind of ground our way down even further through 2015 i mean this Mm time we've kind of gotten up there and we continue to kind of trade cattle at 180 and and obviously that influences prices of feeder cattle too but yeah i think one thing that i don't hear enough conversation about that's important in all of this is we're also trading bigger volumes of cattle right we're hmm. you know we're doing that on about 6 or 7% more volume week in week out than we did in 2014 and so uh, it, it really is a testament, I think, ultimately to beef demand and what's going on out there. So it's a, it's a super good story for our industry. Yeah. 
So it's interesting, like you mentioned the price of fat cattle has gone up so much, but at least what I've been talking to some people or been hearing, and I don't know if you see the same, is that maybe the price of breads has not come up, bread females has not come up as much. And so I've actually heard of people saying that, you know, females that they otherwise would have kept or continue to breed or sell as bred females, they're just fattening out and selling as beef. Uh, is that kind of happening? And yep. what does that mean? I mean, that last time, it seems like the price of bred females shot up with it too. And maybe that kind of helped bring back the cattle herd quickly or? Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I think that's kind of, I right. The market's one story that's really important, right? So far in 2023. And, mm-hmm. but on the other side of that, um, is, is still weather's a big story. Okay. Sure. I mean, in a lot of places, and you mentioned it, that, it, that, right. We're, we're starting to get rain and things are better. Yeah. And, you know, of course there's still some pockets out there, but it, it takes a long time to rebuild one hay inventory and two pastures. And, and well, I was in Southwest Kansas at the end of March and, I mean, it looked like Mars in some places, right? And now, now they've gotten lots and lots of rain since then, but it it takes time. And and you, you know, and then of course there's that kind of emotional or psychological part to that. Is am I going to trust this? Right? I've just spent two years in drought or three years or whatever, and. It, you know, it works on your psyche and, and is this a cash trap, right? I always like to talk about that, right? Is, is, is keeping back the bread heifer, or keeping the cow one more year, is that a cash trap or am I just better off? And boy, you know, these, these prices are pretty enticing to sell into as a, a heifer into, you know, turn her into a feeder heifer and, or gosh, that cow, all of a sudden she's worth a lot of money at the sale barn. And maybe I should just kind of take opportunity to that. So um, take advantage of that opportunity. And, and so it, I, I think, I think we're, we're still a ways away from, you know, this kind of running away where in terms of bread heifers are worth a lot of money and everybody's ready to start rebuilding. I think it's, it's tentative here for the next few years. And in some ways that's uh right like this this price cycle is going to last longer and higher than last time and you know ultimately that's probably good for the business right yeah it is i i know last time you talked about that a little bit that you know everybody says this time's different but you had some some thoughts that you thought maybe could be different about this time you know interest rates relative to cattle prices and uh maybe just i don't it, know it, so, so it's it's everything, right? It's it's feed costs, it's interest rates, and gosh, the other thing, Jared, that just maybe we don't talk enough about in this business, but it's equipment costs. It's hmm. it's amazing to me what a tractor and balers. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> they it is very expensive, and and it's interesting to kind of watch too is you start to delineate variable costs versus fixed costs and, and fixed costs are becoming a bigger part of the equation in terms of running a cow year in, year out. And that, and, you know, a lot of that is due to either buildings and or equipment, right. And you're mm-hmm. trying to pay for those things. And gosh, I mean, you, you just go look at a, I mean, 
right? My favorite example is let's say you buy a 80 to a 90 horsepower tractor that's four wheel drive and get a some kind of uh, implement added to it, right? I mean, like a loader and what have you. And yeah, you're in for a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's true. I I we're looking, we're having some issues with our loader tractor, and we're looking around at do we replace it? Do we fix it? Uh, and because the value of it is almost the same as when we bought it ten years ago, but the cost to replace it is throw a hundred thousand dollars on top of that. <laughs> so Absolutely, it's yeah. wild. Yeah, it yeah. Is, wild but yeah so what are you are you seeing people you know i mean what are people doing then when they have this opportunity to sell so i don't know if you're familiar with wally olson uh, and doug ferguson kind of the sell by marketing uh mindset folks yeah i i had wally on not too long ago and he talked about now you know don't miss out on this opportunity to take advantage of an appreciation in um in in your cattle and your equity. You've got two businesses. You've got an operating business of, you know, producing calves and selling calves. And then you've got this equity management business in your cow herd. And we need to take advantage of this opportunity to do that. And are people, are people taking advantage of it? Are people trying to sell females and capture some of that? Or do you see most people are on the other side trying to buy in because it seems like an opportunity because uh, market prices are high? Yeah, I don't, Honestly, Jared, I don't see people buying in yet. Okay. And and so actually the kind of crazy fervor uh, in the market hasn't happened yet, right? That happens when we start keeping back heifers. Okay. Because then our feeder supply really gets limited. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Um, but but by the way, to that point, I I increasingly am encouraging commercial producers. Now's your opportunity to really make your cow herd better. Dig into that bottom end and get them gone. Yeah. They're, they're worth a lot of money. The market's giving you a gift. Mm -hmm. uh, and also then on the flip side of that, I'm saying be very careful about which heifers you retain. Sure. Uh, because, you, you know, you, you, you want to make sure you do keep the right ones. And because the, the market's giving you an opportunity to say those others that aren't going to be variable replacements, just put them in the feeder mix and, and, and be done with them. So be, yeah. be very choosy. Yeah. Um, kind of just reminds me of, and I don't, this may be just kind of an example or another perspective for people to think of. I'm really enjoy listening to real estate podcasts and stuff. And this 2020, 2021 housing shot through the roof. And I heard of a lot of people doing the same thing. Essentially, they have this portfolio of houses and we can kind of look at our cow herd the same way as we have this portfolio of assets. And there are some that are kind of artificially inflated in value because of this temporary jump in the market. Same thing as the houses then. And there were people, you know, kind of culling out the houses that have more troubles, maybe the ones in poor neighborhoods, harder to keep good tenants in. You know, maybe there's some cows in our herds that have, you know, maybe some other troubles, foot troubles. They're every year, they're giving you some issue. Now's the time, or they're getting older, but for some reason, people see higher value in that older cow than maybe she actually is worth. And now's the time to take advantage of that. Absolutely. Or, or my other favorite expression, Jared, that comes from Dr. Tim Holt is they have bad shoot manners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard that. Right. That so get them, get them gone. Just, yep. just be done with them. And, and yes. uh, I've, I've never come across a beef producer that has regretted selling a marginal cow. Yeah. Ever. 
boy, that check feels good. And they never go back and <laughs> fall and say, boy, I wish I had her calf too. Right. No, yeah. no, I'm always glad to get those gone. And it's, uh, it's, it's just nice. And, and then that's just, an, it's another opportunity to kind of build up some working capital and mm-hmm. have you. And, mm-hmm. and by the way, let's just go back to the equipment discussion. It's not just the equipment. It's then the repairs on the equipment. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you mentioned that, yeah. but it's the parts. And I mean, it, it's even just the oil filters and hydraulic filters and what, what have you all of those things become much more expensive. And, and so, you, you know, we, I always want to encourage producers to not live on the edge. You want to, you want to have some working capital because you never know when the electric locks in your pickup are not going to work or you got to go get them fixed or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's something. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. funny. You mentioned the electric locks. We, we bought a, base model truck that we as base model as they come it doesn't even have electric roll-up windows electric locks electric mirrors so we don't have all those electrical issues when you buy very 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 basic model and stuff so it's a perk i guess of the yeah (laughs) going cheap but um you you mentioned that that way jared also you don't hit the electric locks with your knee when you get out to feed hay out of the back of the pickup (laughs) that's true (laughs) we we actually we had a a 93 dodge in the and the electric locks were right there in the door panel and and we used to have a a key on the outside because (laughs) inevitably what happened is you get out smart um you would accidentally hit that thing and then shut the door right and of course the truck's running Mm -hmm. and you yeah. can't get back in, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> no, that's funny. Wow, <laughs> man. Um, yeah, no, it's it's crazy. I, I don't know. My dad and I were just talking about that kind of. We we also raise organic crops, and cattle market is kind of the same thing, although we're currently at a high. But we raise organic crops, and we were talking about ten years to today. Land rent was thirty to fifty percent cheaper, and land prices was forty percent cheaper, and we bought this tractor that's worth the same now with 4,000 more hours on it for the same price back then as, you know, now it would cost us another hundred thousand more and organic crop prices were actually higher back then too. And labor prices were cheaper back then. And it's like, man, you know, why are we still doing this? The cost of everything is higher. The price of what we're trying to produce is lower. And, and in our particular situation in organic cropping, the weed pressure has only gotten worse and our yields have gone down. So it's like, man, times are just getting tougher, it seems like. But that's that's a you know specific example of organic cropping in our, our context. But cattle is, I guess, similar. I mean, continuously prices of everything goes up while the on average, the beef price has not kept up with it. Although now we're, like you said, at a, at a high. Yeah, we're, we're so... so two points to that, right? Obviously the market has really outrun the expense side, right? This, we're, yes. we're in for a run here where everyone is going to be profitable. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or should be right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's opportunity to make money and, yeah. and certainly costs have gone up, but, but the market is offering some really incredible opportunities. So, mm-hmm. But but that is not a reason to get complacent. In fact, I would argue on the other side, because costs and then also cattle value have gone up, you have more capital at risk than ever. Mm. And actually, now's the time to really dig in 
and be extra careful with your pencil and start making decisions while the market's giving you a little bit of buffer and flexibility to work in. Because what you really want to do is take this cycle right now and get ready because it's going to work the other way, right? Yeah. 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 Prices are going to go down. Costs will not. Yeah. And it's going to get tight again. And um, now's really the time to start thinking because you're not pressured. So you can think through these things very carefully and, and, and have some buffer. And um, uh, it's just easier to make good decisions that way when you do have that buffer and you don't feel that stress. Yeah. 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 It's the problem. And, and I've thought this before and stuff too, is it's when times are tough, like you said, you have that stress. You, it's like, I don't want to make any changes right now when times are tough because I can't afford any errors, but I know this is how it works and I can make this work for a little while longer, but when times are good, you don't feel the need. And so, yeah, yeah, nobody is, everybody can be profitable right now. So why should I make a change? Well, to your point, times will get tough again. And now's the time you can weather those. That's, that's absolutely right. And, and you actually can weather some pretty dramatic changes if you need to. It's, it's, um, so I, I like what you just said. It's, uh, you don't need to, but you you do need to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other words, you need to discipline yourself yeah. uh, to to really dig in and and work on it. Yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned earlier that uh, we've kind of reached the highs of the 2014-15 market and stayed a little bit steady with it. They haven't come back down, but also that you mentioned last time when when the females start getting sold and retained as heifers and sold as breads, as opposed to going into the market, the price jumps even more. So yeah. you, you kind of foresee the potential of, of, I mean, we're not at the top yet, perhaps. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, it, this, uh, you, you know, it, it, I think we could be pretty uh, flat here for a while, but once we really start seeing heifer retention, Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you really start to see like feeder prices, everyone's starting to run around like crazy. Feed jars have to get full and not that they're not now, right? It's, it's yeah. prices are high. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, this thing could get even tighter yet. So yeah. um and, yeah. and we're we're we've been very fortunate that we have good beef demand on the other side to kind of keep cattle moving. That's that's important too, but and yeah, this is a this is an interesting kind of dynamic to watch, and and I I certainly don't see heifer retention happening in a big way this fall. So, um, and and if if cow uh, marketing is any indication, uh, we we are not seeing any major intentions of beef producers thus far this year to kind of hang on. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're going to see kind of a, you know, we started the year at 28.9 million beef cows. I, I mean, I think we're going to stay there maybe a f- little bit fewer in the next few mm-hmm. years. And again, like prices should be higher and last longer than what we saw last time. Yeah. So yeah. Y- you mentioned demand that we've had good demand and, and I'm curious because I believe pork hog prices are still low uh, and pork prices are still reasonable. And I'm not sure where poultry's at last I had heard anyway, I could be totally wrong on this. When does, is, when does demand start to shift 
from beef, you know, to pork and chicken when price yeah. is just as high as it seems to be. I, I guess I don't know. Does this translate all automatically to higher retail prices or does, do the packers just take a, you know, kind of take a hard time here? Cause if they raise prices too much, they, they see that loss of demand. So, so Jared, I think it, it's really two questions, right? And, and mm-hmm. it's, and, and both sides are really important, right? So, so first of all is when, when do we really see some price resistance coming at the consumer level? And, and I mean, I, I think we're seeing that um, and it may not be just necessarily the price of beef, but it's, it's the, inflation overall right and and mm-hmm. we're feeling pressure everywhere as a consumer and so we might start swapping out not just necessarily to beef but out of protein to other things right and so yeah. what we call it's called category shifting so in other words if i'm feeling some pressure um financially i'm i'm just not going to buy as much meat in general and i'm gonna start buying more peanut butter or whatever it is right yeah. you see what i'm saying it's yeah. it's the total category shift, mm-hmm. um, y- you know, and we're up against it, but, but I'm also amazed Jared is uh, in fact, we were just at a restaurant the other night in, in a nice new restaurant and, and uh, the cheapest item on the menu was a, a beef filet and it was $56. <laughs> yeah. And the place was packed. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> And, and so, you, you know, the question becomes, okay, how much uh, does beef really compete against pork and poultry, pro- more so at the lower level, right? Much yeah. you know, ground beef competes more with pork and poultry than certainly a higher end yeah. type of cut. And, but by the way, consumers are clamoring for high quality beef. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I think the other thing, though, that you mentioned, and in, in, in it's certainly correct, is at some point, and in, in what's the who who wins the margin battle between the packer and the retailer or the food service vendor, right? The Cisco's of the world and, mm-hmm. and Kroger versus right Tyson and Cargill and and what have you, and certainly mm-hmm. there's going to be a margin battle that that occurs, um, but both right? The packer needs to move the product. The retailer and the food service vendor needs the product. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it'll it be interesting to kind of watch that uh, coming, especially as we kind of transition out of summer and peak beef demand, what, what happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure we have a good answer for that yet. I mean, this yeah. is unprecedented, right? So yeah. yeah. Sure. Great, um, great questions, though. But yeah. I think what's, for example, though, is we talk about a retailer, uh, especially like a, a little nicer, higher end retail, high quality beef is really important to keeping customer loyalty, right? It's always on the fresh side. Sure. It's fruits, vegetables, and then meat. And obviously beef is a is a primary feature there. Yeah. Um, it, just one other point that's going to be interesting to watch as we get proposition 12 that goes to affect California. Um, obviously the state's going to be short of pork. That also means there's going to be much more pork available domestically in the rest of the States and how that kind of fits into the entire pricing dynamic and, and uh, consumer share. I, I, 
you know, I don't, I don't, I don't Something know how to watch out for anyway. No question. Right. And, yeah. and the challenge there is, okay, now all of a sudden you've got pork tenderloins two for one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and do I buy that instead of buying uh, a package of ground chuck or whatever it is? Yeah. So, so be interesting. Yeah. This prop 12 thing I've heard, I've heard about it. It's essentially just kind of like animal welfare and hog barn kind of new regulation, kind of upping the standards and making things more difficult for production. Um, if it, well, first of all, is that right? And then secondly, uh, did it actually go through? I guess I thought I had heard it was an appeal or there was a bunch of, you know, challenging on it, which is understandable. I mean, where, where does that actually stand right now? Okay. So where, where it is right now is in, in, yeah. So it is a, um, it's a, it's a, um, housing requirement. And, and basically what it requires is it's, it's a statement that says you can no longer um, have sows and gestation crates. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have open pen housing for uh, while sows are in gestation. And um, so it will, it did go to the Supreme court. The, the, it was upheld. And so it goes into effect officially on January 1st. And is there enough hogs raised in terms of open confinement that that uh, will fit that? Probably not, not even close. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you've got a state that's, for example, going to run short of ham and bacon and sausage and mm-hmm. what have you. But yeah. all of the product that normally was getting moved to a pretty big population base, right? In the state of California, it's got to go somewhere. Well, I've, I've heard about that Prop 12 and I guess I didn't know where it was. I'll be interested to see what the actual, the consumers in California think when it goes through and all of a sudden either there's a shortage or the price goes through the roof to get the, the quantity that they need. <laughs> and That's it'll be right. interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens then. But um, I, I guess this is maybe kind of, I don't know if this is something you have much experience or knowledge on it. It's a little bit out of the scope of the animal agriculture itself, but you talked about restaurants are still full. People seem to still be doing okay, but do you have much of a sense on where the general economy is going? I mean, interest rates are putting a squeeze on everybody, not just agriculturalists and stuff right now. And the prices of everything is through the roof everywhere. I mean, is there a sense of a general downturn in the economy and that might change things or... I mean, if you look at the GDP numbers and then you look at kind of general consumer spending, no, it's it's uh, it's starting to kind of get the feel like we're going to head towards a soft landing and and avoid a recession. And and clearly there's been some layoffs and what have you. But, um, you know, and clearly job creation is slowing down, but, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not stopped and it's not gone negative and and. um, so we're kind of chipping away here, despite um, you know a lot of concern about interest rates and have you and in. But it does begin to feel like um, we're beating inflation. In fact, the CPI numbers just this morning were very positive, or I I should say very favorable, and the market is responding accordingly this morning and and. Um, it looks like we're kind of getting ahead of that. And that that just in general makes consumers feel better, right? And, um, you know, we, we can adjust to prices and they don't just keep going up and up and up and like crazy. And yeah, so things are settling. If you look at travel numbers, people are traveling and 
Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> right. It's, it's, you know, yeah. ships are full, planes are full. I have not been on a plane yet this year that it, it was not packed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's amazing. And interestingly enough, I was just up in Calgary and this is very anecdotal, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for beef improvement federation and coming home and in the line at customs was long and, you know, you look around and it's mostly Americans traveling home, but they've been traveling to Canada and, yeah. and what have you, right. You can just tell by looking at the people's passports and what have you. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know where it, you hear things from all sides. I hear, you hear everything. So you never, never really know what's going to happen, but I, I know that, I mean, that, that's something that concerns me as a guy who direct markets grass finished beef, and this is getting very niche and not very market specific, but, you know, selling a premium product at a premium price direct to consumer, we don't have the efficiencies. So our prices are even higher than, you know, the product would be on a grocery store elsewhere. You know, I mean, recession would have a big effect on that. Not to mention the fact that our purchase price wholesale for grass finished beef now is through the roof because we base that on the USDA regular carcass price uh carcass weight price and stuff and so makes me a little nervous for that specific industry what might be happening but i uh i hope we don't see a massive crash or anything like that and it's good to hear at least that for the most part things seem to be kind of just chugging along and your consumers they're they have not uh offered any price resistance or complained or well you know it we've not heard anything verbally uh i don't know if and I got to probably check my numbers again here soon to make sure to see where we're at as far as sales. Um, but it, it certainly hasn't increased. Uh, it was, I mean, crazy 2021 or yeah, COVID, early COVID there and stuff, 2020 uh, market sales shot up. We doubled or close to tripled and we could have 10 X if we had the meat in stock, we just didn't have yeah. the supply of beef. Um, and then since then, the question was, will those people stick around? And they have maintained and so not taken off. Uh, we've just kind of maintained over the last couple of years, which is understandable because we were probably continuously growing our consistent base while losing a few of those, you know, emergency, you know, bulk shoppers that were panicking uh, there in early 2020. So I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer for that where our trend is going because it's been so wild the last few years with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think in general, right? It, it, it's uh, and especially as you watch the market, investor sentiment is starting to change. It's getting better, right? People are starting to just in the last month or so, six weeks, starting to yeah. really believe, like, oh, maybe we're out of the woods, and interest rates, while maybe not going to go down, are going to start to stabilize. The Fed might hike one or two more times, but we're we're at the top and as long as we can get stability, right? That's, and then companies start to be able to work inside that environment much more comfortably and much less likely to lay people off and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, Are there any other ideas or topics around generally around the markets that are worth mentioning in a kind of an update here? Yeah, I, I think uh, let's just go back to the weather um, yes. and not specific to cattle, but to grain, yeah. right? And, and, you know, we've just experienced a historic month 
<laughs> where we watched the market run like corn prices up a dollar over the span of about two weeks. Yeah. And just that quickly come right back down because of what, right. Yeah. And, and there have been some very timely rains uh, in the middle of the grain belt. And, mm-hmm. you know, it looks like we might have a pretty good crop and, that's all really important to the cattle business. One, it holds kind of manufactured feed costs down, but it's also very supportive for feeder cattle. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so um, I, I probably have spent more time in the last month just watching weather than ever in my life. And it's, <laughs> it's been fascinating relative to what's gone on in the markets too, right? Yeah. I mean, we were we were a little dicey there, right? And yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, that's that's interesting just in terms of like the actual net effect. I mean, we're not just seeing a, a jump in cattle prices, you know, calf prices from $2 to $3 a pound now for wean calves or whatever, but we're also seeing on the other side a reduction in costs. So the actual margin spread here for cattle producers, it's going to be, it, I mean, it, it's overall a really impressive. <laughs> there could be a lot of money, I guess, flowing into cattle producers here over the next couple of years, maybe. Yes, yes. Yeah. But by the way, I mean, these, these higher feed costs and have been very important and, and it's, it gets built into everything. If you're buying any kind of supplemental feed, whether it's range cubes or even mineral, right? Wheat mids become more expensive and what have you, and all these yeah. ingredients. And yeah. again, then that's the cash trap, right? It costs more money to either keep cows or you know, produce replacement heifers or what have you. So um, there's maybe a little bit of cushion coming here. Yeah. But, but I, I think also, Jared, one other thing that that I always talk to producers, and in fact, I, I did a kind of a little risk management seminar, but markets, I mean, they are so volatile and can move so fast. And it's, again, it's kind of back to that. We want to plan for all these different situations and wherever we find ourselves, what is it we're going to do strategically, right? And you want to make those decisions when you're not in the moment, right? It's it's hard to decide which direction to turn the ship, right? When you're in the middle of a storm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know much about the the land, ranch land market and how this changes? It seems like ranch lands have already seen a massive jump over the past few years, but maybe that was largely not from the actual production agriculture. So maybe this just gives ranchers a chance to maybe come in and compete a little bit. But uh, does this affect ranch land markets or is that kind of uh, Yeah, separate? yeah, for sure it does. And and it's interesting you say that because you, you mentioned something earlier that uh right right so you mentioned that we have like two different enterprises you sort of have the the cash flow enterprise and then the equity enterprise of the of the cattle i would argue you actually have a third enterprise that's the most important and that's your land yeah i I would agree yep (laughs) um and and really as a rancher or a farmer you're a landowner first and then all of the cattle things are secondary, right? Mm-hmm. Because your your biggest investment is in land. Yeah. And, you, you know, I, d- I did a column not too long ago. I, I can't remember when, but, um, you, you know, we, we sometimes forget that. But pasture values, pasture land, 
USDA prices, average prices, have gone up on average of just about 5% per year for the last, oh, I'd have to go back and look, but 20 years. I mean, it's just been a super consistent, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's really been an amazing investment. And then if, if you own that land, so either you charge somebody else a lease cost or you charge your cattle operation generally would be about 1% of that value, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So you're getting kind of a 1% coupon or dividend. So ultimately it's about a 6% kind of return on investment year over year. It's it's just been really a great <laughs> investment. Yeah, super steady. So the challenge is, right, we're getting... So there's two things going on. You're getting more people from the outside saying, wow, we recognize that agricultural real estate investment is very important and very steady, not a lot of volatility versus, let's say, investing in equities. And so let's diversify our portfolio. Um, the, the other thing to that is, uh, I, I think if you're you ask anybody wherever they are, if you're trying to lease ground, how hard it is and how much more expensive it is to lease ground. It's a battle. And it, it actually has actually worked with a family a couple months ago. They were talking about it. It's it's created there. They they do well and they have money and it's created kind of some animosity with their neighbors. Right. They're they're looking to expand their operation. They're looking to grow. So they're willing to pay, you, you know, whatever it takes to lease that ground. And the other neighbors can't quite match that. And it, yeah, it, it, yeah. it kind of pits neighbor against neighbor. Yeah. It seems to me like land purchases you can overpay for because, I mean, people say you never pay too much for land. You can only pay too soon. Because it'll always catch up. You'll always end up there. But leasing land for more than makes sense. You know, you can lose money for five years on a lease. And at the end of the year, or the end of those five years, lose the lease. And you've got yes. nothing to show for it kind of a thing. And so leases have managed to remain somewhat connected, much more connected to the actual production value of it. But are people overbidding on that, just planning for long-term, you know, just to control it. And then five years down the road, hope to be leasing it for a reasonable rate or something or what? what or, or I think ultimately they're hoping to buy it, right? Sure. Sure. We're, we're going to lease it. And then ultimately the kids that own it are going to yeah. sell. Us, sure. Right. Okay. We'll be first in line and we've created a relationship yeah. and then we, we can bypass open market and what have you. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and to your point, right, I mean, you can purchase land and, and maybe overpay for it, but there's some stability to it, right? Yeah. Is at least, you know, you get to keep it forever. Exactly. Yeah. As long so, as you can make those payments. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. As long as, Jared, you, to your very point, right, if you can do the debt service on the land and be relatively comfortable, it's not eating up too much working capital. Mm -hmm. Um. You, it's generally a pretty good investment, right? And again, it's yeah. going to, it, historically, it's not gone down in value. Bankers like to loan against real estate. And, and so, yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, you I mean, you don't want to be stupid about it, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the great thing too, when you purchase real estate, 
is it gets diluted across the rest of your property, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I've even thought about for a lot of guys out there right now who have a herd of 500 cows and they're worth, they've gone from being worth 1200 to worth 2000 a piece or something like that. I mean, if there ever was a time to liquidate a cow herd and turn it into land or something like that and get into cut, you can get into custom grazing for a few years until cattle prices come back down. I mean, that's a million dollars in asset that could be swapped for land pretty quickly or something too. I mean, no question. there's, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's opportunities. I mean, that's where the importance of looking at your, all of your assets as equity and trying to get the most return out of that equity or the best return or the safest return or whatever you see, you know, what it just, where do you want that equity being held is something to consider and look at different enterprise options with that. But we, we, but we often don't think of that enough. We don't talk about that enough and how mm -hmm. important really when you're a rancher or farmer, you're in the real estate investment business. Yeah. Yeah. First yeah. and foremost. And uh, we, we typically don't, we, we, in this business, we talk a lot about cash flow uh in the income statement we don't talk enough about the balance sheet yeah. yeah yeah we look we look yeah cash flow and we look at labor and the majority of our labor is being spent in the operating entity but the majority of our equity is being held in land or you know in assets and you're right so we, we think about most of the time what are we doing with our labor because that's what we spend all our time doing and we're not thinking about managing equity because it's almost this invisible kind of side thing i guess Right. But it's, it is uh, ultimately, right. It's, that's where your wealth is. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's a side thing. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be a, seen as a side thing, but it, it oftentimes no, is because yeah, yeah. But yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm concerned that a lot of times um, bankers don't fully understand that, right. As yeah. it pertains to the entire business, right. We're, mm -hmm. we're too focused year over year income statements instead of, well, what's going on with your wealth and, and what matters here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. Um, well, this is a bit of a, a change in subject here, unless there's anything on that kind of topic that we've been talking about. We, we've kind of strayed a little bit, even from specifically from the cattle market, but anything That's before fine. I change topics? No. No, this okay. is good. Yeah. Cool. Fantastic. Um, well, well, I was listening to another podcast that uh, they had on a a person who's kind of got a diversified business, he, he constructs and builds cattle barns, uh, slatted feedlot cattle barns, like 500 to 1000 plus head barns. And what he was doing, and he's also a cattle producer himself. And he's, you know, he said on this podcast that he's offering five or 10 year contracts to fill those barns with cattle on a certain price per head, uh, headspace per day, um, which was the first time I've ever heard of that being done for, uh, in the cattle industry like that, it sounds very much similar to like the hog and poultry contract barn setups. And it got me kind of thinking, and this isn't a conversation on necessarily, I think this is the way the market should go, or I don't like that or something. I'm just curious, generally uh, informational uh, seeking here anyway, where is the cattle industry in terms of this consolidation of owners and kind of the, uh, what do they call them? Integrator type models that the poultry and the hog industries have already gone down uh, a while ago yeah i i don't i don't see us jared getting integrated necessarily but i think the better term is coordinated and i there's no question there's more and more vertical vertical coordination going on 
Um, in, in fact, I, I just was looking at uh, yesterday, kind of back on some feed yard data that I had put together and, and um, you know, especially these bigger corporate feed yards, um, they're very careful about inventory management and, mm -hmm. you know, they've got inventory sitting out in the country ready to go. Right. And so yeah. they make sure they're never too full at the feed yard and they, and they kind of try to level the flow and what have you. And then they're working with other entities and, and, um, out in the country and they probably have a couple of very key feeder cattle suppliers just to keep everything level. And then what happens is then they can manage the margin and also their risk management around all of that. Now, mm -hmm. to, to that point, by the way, that's also what makes some people crazy is because then typically what they do is they are much more likely to sell cattle on a formula and they don't worry about, right? They don't want to negotiate in the cash market. And that's a whole nother topic for another day. But but my point being is we we have that going on. I I see more and more, whether it's retailers or packers, they're wanting consistent supply of kind of a, a critical mass of like kind cattle. And I think what we're going to see is, and we're, we're seeing it now kind of bubble, but probably a lot of seed stock producers, some seed stock producers become the kind of the linchpin in putting all yeah. of that together right? You buy yeah. our genetics. We we either buy back the feeder cattle or we help facilitate the feeder cattle buy. Mm -hmm. We get them into a supply chain and then ultimately they end up in some kind of marketing program. And yeah. so I, I think we're going to, we're seeing that happen and we're going to see more and more of that, yeah. right? And, and you know, and, and of course the big example would be kind of what 44 Farms is doing. Exactly. and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and but but that's happening in other places too. Uh, just you know, not getting quite the exposure that they have. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so it seems like most of that coordination. I think uh, the word it, it happens almost after the cow. Although it might, you might, I guess in that regard, it kind of is being start the sourcing starts all the way at the cow calf producer but the management of those cattle from the 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 um the ownership of that cattle starts after the cow calf producer and i guess i don't know if there's any truth to this but i've always kind of thought that it seems like i don't know how you can ever control and own the cows in were spread across the country you can't control the environment as well as you can with a hog barn you can build these sow units and feeder barns anywhere and control it and stuff perfectly. And you can do that similarly with feedlots and with feeder cattle, but you can't really do that with cow calf. And is cow calf going to kind of move that direction too, or is there always going to be a little more independence in the cow calf segment of the industry? Yeah, I, I think it, it's going to remain independent. There's just no way uh, to, to do that. Right. Yeah. You, you either have to own all the land and we just had that land conversation and how yeah. that is new. Yeah. And, um, by the way, then, you know, unfortunately a lot of cow calf producers kind of do it for free. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and no one really wants to do that for free. So, um, you know, I don't see that system, and I mean, when I say for free, they're labor, right? Yeah. I'm not saying necessarily 
the return on the operation, but generally we don't value our time enough. And um, I, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. And boy, you, you'd have to, I mean, there's what, 700,000 beef producers in the United States. I mean, it, it's real, it would be really, really hard to do all of that. No yeah. one has enough capital to put that together. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because on, on one hand, you know, we all like to be independent and I, I would like to be independent and stuff too, but it seems like the majority of the producers don't really charge themselves any sort of equity tied into their livestock. Like they don't charge themselves for that, that money that they have tied up in their equity. And so if we almost went down a custom rate or, you know, if we're custom grazing cattle for someone else, then even if we had the same margins, but now we don't have all that equity tied up in the cattle, we can move that equity into something else. Maybe we'd be better off. So I mean, there are some advantages to maybe yeah, separating that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, though, we're back to that financial conversation, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it, it, so, so I think it's a really important conversation. We spend a lot of time in our business talking about the cattle and probably not enough about talking about the business itself. Does that make sense? Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, you do this consulting professionally with ranchers. I mean, maybe the people that you work with, once they call you, they're further along in this, but do you see, and, and I know you're, it'd be relatively anecdotal to get your experience, but where do you see most cow-calf producers are in terms of their, you know, mindset spent focusing on business and finance versus production and versus land, I guess, as a separate oh, business, I guess. Most of them are focused completely on the cattle and the production, right? Yeah. In, in, I, th I think, uh, Jared, USDA data, 70% 70, 70 of all cow-calf operations, and it and this includes even some larger operations, right? Cattle are a secondary source of income. So we don't look at cattle typically in a financial perspective. And so when people kind of start talking about cattle, it just becomes about the cattle because that's what's easy. That's what I manage. We don't really like to manage the financial part of it. Now, mm -hmm. that changes as you get into bigger operations, right? Obviously, you have to spend more time inside in front of the computer. Um, and by the way, that's what producers don't like to do as a rule, but that's where they make the most money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's really the important part. But, you know, obviously the production part's very important. But it's equally important to look at what's my financial return in terms of that production. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting even, I mean, and I'm not, I'm thinking this through as I speak it, so it may make no sense. And I haven't thought it fully through yet, but I'm thinking in, in our production, we outsource a lot of the decision-making already. We outsource it to the feed salesman or the nutritionist or the crop and input specialist or the banker or whatever we outsource a lot of that decision making towards somebody else's expertise and yet we don't maybe do that a lot with our business decisions yet we also don't put the time towards it we kind of almost just let it be we we almost turn over all of those business decisions to those people that are not necessarily looking at our business but they're focusing on what's best for our production and that is not necessarily the same thing as business and if we're not willing to put the time towards our business mindset and our business management, we maybe should be looking to outsource those decision-making 
skills and those decision making roles to somebody else, like we kind of do with a lot of our production decisions. So there no question, right? And 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 by the way, all of that should be looked at in a comprehensive manner, right? How how do all these things fit together? But you know, and this is not meant to be a criticism, but most most producers don't have financial acumen to really know how to look at that. So why not pay somebody and or, you know, even if it's just for a while to learn all of that, to make sure, am I doing these things correctly in terms of financial perspective? And maybe it's it's something as simple, Jared, as restructuring your debt. Boy, you might be able to take a lot of pressure off the off the business if I could restructure some debt and what have mm-hmm. you. Um, and, and, you know, I've mentioned it several times already today, but I think one of the biggest challenges that most producers have is, is, uh, they don't make sure, and it's true of all small business owners, right? We don't have enough working capital. Then something happens. The loader on the tractor breaks. We, we're now stuck. We don't have the money to fix it and or replace it. And then we have to go to the bank and ask for more money. And we haven't managed for that kind of contingency or emergency. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I promise you, Murphy is always going to move into your house, right? Into your operation, right? Something is going to happen. (laughs) Something's going to break, whatever it is. And and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's inevitable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, a hundred percent. I agree. Um, I, I remember, um, in, in, it struck me, I was at a place in, and I maybe talked about this last time I was with you, Jared, mm-hmm. I was at an operation down in Texas in 2015 and they had a year's worth of hay sitting around mm-hmm. and, and, um, Right. They just were like, we are going to now that's a very intentional financial decision. Yeah. Okay. But we are not, but then that leads to other financial decisions. We're not going to sell cows in a drought in an emergency. We're going to make sure that we have feed and whether we can take them to a feed yard or we're ultimately going to liquidate them, but we're going to make that decision without the additional stress. Mm -hmm. And you know, they've got a lot of money sitting around in that hay, but ultimately that leads to a better financial decision. Yeah. Yeah. It gives just the the freedom to make the decision based on business and not on emotion or panic. Absolutely. That's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Cool. What else? Is there any other last kind of thoughts you've got, things that you want to share before we wrap up? Oh, I, yeah, I just think it's a, it's a really, really fun time to be in this business. I mean, it's exciting. I see, I see kind of back to your question of, you know, integration, maybe coordination. I see a lot of good things happening and, and um, yeah, continue to be opportunities for producers that are innovative and maybe want to try things in a little different way. And, and um, um, you know, it, it's, it's very hard to succeed uh, in a business that's kind of increasingly decommoditizing to be independent and anonymous, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's this, this business probably will, will reward you less and less if you maintain independence and, and being anonymous, right? It's, it's, uh, yeah, 
you've, you've got to differentiate yourself and that, even if you're just raising feeder cattle, it, it, you want to be known and you want to do a good job and, and um, create quality. And then really the way you ultimately create value is that you either partner or work with somebody else that's doing the same thing. So you begin to have volume and critical mass. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that I've heard people talk about this idea of you either need to, it kind of goes along with your idea of being anonymous and, and these other people are saying you need to get connected to a brand or build a brand because this model of being anonymous, being just this commodity producer that nobody, yeah, nobody knows anything about is not maybe going to work long-term. Well, you've, what you've done then is you've relegated yourself to a commodity, a zero-sum game. Right. And when you do that, you cannot win if you are not big. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because yeah. people who win in commodity businesses win by economies of scale. Mm-hmm. And um, so you you ultimately then let somebody else leverage what you've done to be bigger. And, um, you know, they become bigger off of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's what I mean. So, yeah. Um, cool. Well, where maybe remind people a little bit about what you do and where they can find you if they want to learn more. Yeah. So um, probably the easiest way is I do contribute to drovers on a regular basis and, and um, you can find my columns there and um, that I, and each one of those I have a, you know, you can click on it and my email address is there and pretty easy to find. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is this has been fun. I, I always enjoy hearing hearing your thoughts. Jared, I, I just appreciate the opportunity. You are a pleasure to visit with. Thank you so much. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Farrow Cattle Company at farrowcattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.